Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every week. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as nature N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Well, hello and welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. Happy New Year to you. It's our first week back. It's so nice to have joined or have you join us again and to be back answering your gardening questions. I'm Trevor Cochran and this is our first live show of the year. So it's a great opportunity for you to ask your garden questions. We've got a great show today. Lots of really cool ideas. There's a little bit of stuff going on with uh, gardens all over the country. In some places, we've got too much too much water, too much rain, different problems and other parts and like the west over here uh, where we've had five or six days over 40 degrees in the Perth metropolitan area, gardens and lawns are suffering quite badly. So I'll give you a few solutions uh, through the day uh, or through the next hour and I'll give you the chance to ask your questions as well. So I'm looking forward to um, answering them. We have had a few, uh, few questions come through straight away, but before we get into them, I just wanted to give you a bit of a rundown. Um, if you've ever wondered what your suburb tastes like, well, last year I caught up with the founder of Postcode Honey. His name's John Fady, and he takes local honey to look the next level. I'll explain what I mean. If your lawns have been suffering through the extreme heat, I've got some great solutions for you. And no doubt over Christmas you've had a great time, but uh, if you're looking at your garden, you might be thinking about some garden gifts or maybe a little bit of shopping to pick up a few bits and pieces. We've got our friends from Garden Express uh, back with us again this series. I'll talk about them a bit later on. Remember, if you've got some questions, please let us know where you're from. It's really important. It does make a, a big difference to me being able to answer your questions, particularly when we're getting extremes like we have been with regards to weather. Um, as always, we've got prizes to give away. Thanks to our friends at Fothergills. We've got some packet seeds for you. And um, what else? Well, uh, it's really important that if you do like what we're doing today, that you share it with your friends. And that's a simple way to do that is for you just to hit like. So hit the like button. We'll get into things straight away because um, I have a bit of a build-up of questions. And some people have been sending some photographs in. So we'll fly into this one first up. It's Linda. I'm not sure where you're from, Linda, but you've sent us in... Uh, some some photos and it's pretty telling. We're going to stick them up on the screen so everybody can see these. Um, your comments are Happy New Year, Trevor and crew. Thank you very much. Any chance you can tell me why my gladioli bulbs are doing this? I lifted them from the garden after the last flowering, put them in pots and the yellowing. No flowers. The bulbs were all good size too. I did let half, half of them root on a tray of water just for fun before planting. All looked healthy. 
um, when you put them into the pots. Now, what has gone wrong? So you can see the photographs up there. On the left, you can see the bulbs um, that have gone into, or they're really what they call corm, actually, uh, gone into the tray, and you can see them dropping down their roots. Now, this would have been in a protected environment. As soon as they've gone out and they're in pots in a garden environment, you've got this burning on the foliage. And that burning is caused by a microscopic insect called a thrip. Now, thrips do enormous damage. And I've been spraying my gladdies. At, I have a lot of gladdies, and I've been spraying my gladdies at home uh, continuously to try and control thrips because we've, we've had a really bad problem with the chili thrip and also with um, uh, the Western flower thrip, doing a lot of damage to them. This is classic thrip damage. And there's a number of uh, really good sprays. What I'm beginning to think might be the best control, however, is probably doing something like a, uh, as long as your conditions are not too extreme, too hot, uh, a spray with uh, horticultural oil, so eco oil or white oil, they will help you um, get on top of this. I think you're going to need to do at least three or four sprays. What will happen is it'll coat the thrips with that oil substance. It basically suffocates them, cleans them off the foliage of the plant. Unfortunately, those plants that you've got there, they're not going to come good and it's highly unlikely they'll produce um, flowers this year round. So, sorry, the, the news is not better for you on that one. It's not great. Kerry has sent us in, uh, and again, uh, Kerry, you, we're not sure where you're from. You sent me through a photograph and it's a bit difficult for me to tell from here. It's actually the foliage that makes me think um, – think it is what I think it is. It's quite an unusual plant. It's absolutely beautiful. You can see it there. Uh, now, I think this is called Bolisanthus speciosa or the wisteria tree. It's an African tree, beautiful um, racemes of flowers. Now, the angles of the photographs probably don't do that justice and the the I can't quite see them clearly enough, but it's the foliage and the shape of the, of the actual um, the branches that makes me think it is. This is a real collectible. So it's called Bolisanthus speciosa, uh, the African or or the wisteria tree. It's got wisteria-like racemes. Generally, the fol uh, the flowers would be more of a bluey colour, but you can get them pink and a, and a bit of a whitey sort of colour through there. So from what I can see, that's what you've got there, Kerry. I hope that helps. All right, let's keep rolling on because the questions are rolling in, which is great. Laura Jennings is from Deborah in Brisbane. I've got an array of vegetables in raised garden beds with weed matting separating them from the ground, but I can't keep them alive and thriving and rarely get them into harvesting stage. How do I manage vegetables that are in pots and separate garden beds? Well, in pots and garden beds, when you're in a raised garden bed, the organic matter and material is really important. One of the downsides to putting... Um, weed mat down is that it tends to smother out everything which is great if you want to keep weeds out however it, it also doesn't do a lot of good for the health of the soil and I'm not a huge fan of using unless you're in a very um, almost a commercial kind of environment um, it, it can be used for things like strawberries and uh, keeping um, pests away and keeping it nice and clean I would suggest that what you'd be a lot better to do is to get yourself a few bags of sheep manure. Um, I think sheep's probably the better option of all the, the options that I'm going to suggest. Cow is a very good one as well. Dig that into your soil. So um, for garden beds, really enrich it massively right at the moment with that and then get back planting. Um, applying a controlled release fertiliser will really help a lot 
right at the very beginning and getting them established. What's more, most likely causing your failures is, is that combination of the soil being sterilised and also a lack of water. So I'm going to suggest that you do both of those things. If you're growing vegetables in pots, and I'm certainly doing uh, some fruit and veg in pots at home myself, um, good potting mix. Do not compromise on your potting mix. I'll talk about my plant of the week a bit later on. And um, you'll be you'll be blown away. We're, we're doing some stories for a, a TV series we do called Delish at the moment. And um, I've got a really good example of the difference between a, a standard cheap potting mix and a premium potting mix. And the outcomes are enormously different. So I'll show that with you. All right, let's head north. We'll go to the Gold Coast. Uh, Glenn is up there and he's got blueberries that have got yellowish leaves dark green veins. I've fed them with a roses, gardenias and azalea and camellia slow-release fertiliser. Any suggestions? Yes, mate. Look, the slow-release fertiliser is probably not going to do it at the moment with regards to these guys. Blueberries are actually growing really strongly right at the moment. And that's why you're seeing the green veins. The green veins is basically a line of iron. So there's a shortage of iron in the soil. The fertiliser you've chosen is the right fertiliser, but not a slow release or controlled release just at the moment. You want something that's going to release a little bit faster and you want to wash it into the soil. When you apply it, it's really important, only apply at recommended rates. I can't stress that enough. Um, if you really wanted to get this done, uh, get, get a turnaround on this really quickly, you could apply sulphate of iron right at the moment as well. That's a, another option for you. Again, when you put these fertilizers in, wash them into the soil. It's really critical with blueberries. They can be very salt sensitive and these fertilizers all have salts in them. So if you don't wash it in, get it really soluble. Um, one is they can't take it up and two is it can do some, some burning damage to the roots. Well, uh, let's keep moving on. Uh, Karina is in Narra Court. Um, is it too late to plant more beans? Did not get a good take. What should I feed them once up? Okay. Uh, I have some big crops of beans uh, in my veggie garden at the moment. Lots and lots of growth, not a huge amount of, uh, of actual uh, beans being produced just at the moment, and that's because of extreme heat. So that can be a bit of a problem when, uh, when it comes to sort of getting results out of beans. But look, there's a lot of different bean varieties, and some do very well in quite, uh, quite warm conditions. So my suggestion to you would be that you um, – do go and put them in, but what I would suggest is when it comes to feeding, right at the moment, sheep manure, cow manure, dig it into the soil, give it a week or so to settle, then plant your beans out, you'll get great results. I think you'll find as soon as we get some slightly cooler weather, um, they'll, they should sort of set flower and, and you'll end up with lots of beans. It shouldn't be a problem. Lynn is in Claremont. Hello, Lynn. Uh, whilst I have a well-established garden, I would like to improve my soil. Thinking of using soil solver, what uh, would that be okay? And if so, how would I apply it, please? Okay, well, it depends on your soil type, Lynn. Now, for those people, this is this is a national broadcast. Soil solver is quite a unique product to Western Australia. I know it's in South Australia. I know it's in uh, New South Wales and Victoria. It is a kaolin clay and a um, uh, bit of a combination of rock minerals and also uh, silt. It is a fantastic product in converting uh, particularly sandy soils into what is almost a, a beautiful loam. And it's, it's almost cheating, but it's a wonderful product for doing that. And once you've got it right, it, uh, it does amazing things. Now, the recommended rate for soil solver is about something like seven and a half kilos, I think, per square metre in a reasonable soil 
dug into the top 100 maybe 200 mil of soil um it sounds like a lot but once you basically put this improvement in you really don't need to do an awful lot to the soil afterwards it really will transform it um it's almost a permanent sort of change um so you could do that i've been in really barren sandy soils in the bassendine sands which are con considered by the world food organization as the most barren uh on the planet and um they have probably required around about 12 and a half kilos per square meter. It sounds like a, a lot because I think those bags are 25 kilos or so. Um, but once you've done it, um, the, the change in your soil in, the reduction in water consumption, the improvement in growth in your plants will be amazing. So um, I do think soil solver is a good product. I do think it works exceptionally well. Um, it, it is something that you do need to make an investment in, but it's an investment in the future. Hopefully that helps. Let's head to Queensland. Jenny is in Queensland. Uh, would you would like to know if it's possible to grow jacaranda tree in a pot? Look, it is, but you're not really going to get the flower that you want or, or the beautiful structure of the tree. Um, jacarandas are a large tree, no matter what you do. There's some dwarf varieties, uh, very rare to get your hands on at the moment, um, but it's not quite the same as growing one in the ground. They really do need to be in the ground. Hopefully that helps. Okay. We have been belting along uh, with your questions and I don't want you to stop sending them through. Please send them through. Please let us know where you are, your state, your town, really important. Um, this is important in so many different ways, but one of the things that you'll find um, is, is really relevant is things like bees. So, you know, bees, the way they perform in Western Australia versus, say, Victoria or Queensland is quite different. And if you've been wondering what your suburb um, might taste like, well, you're, and if you're from WA in particular, you might have heard of this company called Postcode Honey. Um, really cool little concept. And I caught up with John Fady last year. Let's have a listen. I'm a massive advocate for bees in the home environment. And certainly we know worldwide bees have been in a bit of trouble and also um, that they're responsible for, I think it's something like one in every three mouthfuls of food that's consumed by a human on the planet. They're a pretty important part of our life, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've heard similar figures. Yeah, some, some people say up to 50% of all the food we eat is dependent on bees. So. And, and it's really, it's, it's, it's the important role of their, them as a pollinator. Now, the things that affect the health of bees is obviously chemicals and, and in some cases um, uh, pests that are actually attacking them. So uh, that's been, it's been a big problem. That's why Australia is such an important place in the world, being the big island we are and free of the uh, majority of those pests and diseases and, and even, um, you know, being very proactive with regards to the chemicals we're using. You did some, you, you do something that's pretty amazing and I've, I've got my own beehive I'm up in the Perth hills in Kalamunda and one of the things I always marvel is we tend to get sort of two harvests a year of honey one soon after the wildflower season which is this lovely light um, very floral pleasant honey and then after after the gums have all come into flower and, and particularly uh, when we look at the marriage trees they produce a really you know really thick red honey and it's it's a totally different flavor always amazes me that you can get such variation in honey yeah oh the, the taste of the honey is down to the, the the nectar that the bees are collecting from and 
yeah, I, I, we, I keep bees all over Perth and beyond. And, um, yeah, every suburb is completely different, you know, the different mix of trees and mm. every, every harvest is different, um, even pulling frames to, I keep mainly 10 frame hives and the difference in color and difference in taste between the individual frames is can be huge um you know like this is a this is a bit of a transition time in Perth at the moment where yeah as you say we're switching from the um the, the wildflowers and then yeah up in the hills there depending on where you are they're probably just finished or they're probably just moving into um starting on the jarra trees yeah um yeah which produces a fairly dark honey and yeah quite woody and yeah, very very different from the um wildflowers that they would have been collecting from and i know you you've got uh, you've got a slight twang in that uh, accent of yours i know uh, you've got to have a bit of a kiwi background somewhere there that the manuka honey out of new zealand is obviously world famous as well right yeah it is yeah um but depending on what well, they've been marketing it for a long time. Um, they've done a lot of research and uh, a lot of very, very clever marketing. Um, but that's got down to where the bees are foraging, right? So it's it's, it's it in is, a particular yeah. type of plant. Yeah, the, the manuka tree is a leptospermum. Um, I think New Zealand has, I think, just one, uh, one type. Australia has something like 83. I remember speaking to a guy from... Uh, I think it was the University of the Gold Coast who was a leptospermum expert and he told me that Australia had, oh, I think it was at least 10 or more types of leptospermum that produced nectar that was more medically active than the New Zealand stuff. So wow. it's, it's, it's just a matter of time until um, the, the Australian research is there. I have a, but, yeah, I have we, a friend... Uh, sorry, I have a friend who's got a um, restaurant uh, on the beach uh, in um, in North Fremantle there, and they've got uh, hives on the roof. And um, when Eamon first gave me a taste of their honey, I was blown away in that it's got a really salty flavour. And I think there's a there's a theme that I'm kind of leading to here is that different postcodes effectively produce different flavours of honey, right? Yeah, definitely. It's... Um... Well, because every every postcode has a different combination of plants, um, you, you can if you're familiar with South Perth Apple Cross, they have a lot of um, jacaranda trees, for example, introduced. But that produces a, a lovely light honey at this time of the of year. Um, so yeah, that those suburbs produce quite quite unique honeys. Um, yeah, we've had we've had lots of customers comment on some of the coastal. Honey's from the coastal suburbs. You're talking about that saltiness. It, yep. um, yeah, I, I, I assume that um, that the salt must mix with the nectar somehow and um, yeah, it ends up being reflected in the honey. Yeah. Well, I, I mentioned some of the plants there are probably active on also have um, the capacity of holding salt within their system or even on their foliage. So it's probably that mixture of, um, of the bees just being active in around that salty environment. This, this kind of leads on to your business, which is very, very interesting and uh, thought it was a, a great opportunity to talk to you um, because Postcode Honey has, has become incredibly popular. Tell us a little bit about what you guys do. My original goal was to set up hives in each of, or in every one of Perth's postcodes um, and, and, and beyond. Um, 
you know, ultimately all of WA's postcodes and, and yep. who knows, maybe one day we'll go Australia-wide. But, yeah, it's, it's basically so that people can um, taste honey from their, their local suburb. One of the reasons for doing it was to encourage a number of beehives in suburban and urban environments. It's a look. It's a it's a wonderful endeavour, and I think that um, it's become incredibly popular because people are recognising that honey does have different flavours, and that really gets down to the origins of where it's coming from. So, um, this ability to do that. So, how do you identify it with the with the honey once you've jarred it? We label all of the honeys with, with the uh, postcode that it's from, and um, oh, and and further to that, we we out in the country areas where, where we can isolate where we know. Um, exactly what plants the bees have been foraging on, um, yeah, we'll, we'll label it with a plant variety, you know, uh, such as Mary or Jarrah or Carrie. Um, yeah, but all, all the urban ones we, we label as multi-floral just because you, you can't control what the bees fly to. They, they, they will fly up to five kilometres to, to forage. So, mm. um, yeah, in, in the urban areas, yeah, it, um, you end up with a real mixture every time. Um, occasionally dominated by one species, like the jacarandas and apple crops. Yeah, but uh, most of the time, it's a it's a real real mixture. Well, you've got me thinking straight away. I, I really, I know how beautiful apple crop, apple cross is this time of the year in Western Australia because it is just you know literally avenues and avenues of jacaranda trees and this magnificent purple carpet below them just about now um, as the flowers start falling. But I've never never tried, um, you know, jacaranda honey before. I'm sure I haven't. Um, what so? What postcode would I be looking at then? Where? How do I get my hands on? <laughs> Sorry, I'm not, not not that good with the numbers. I think it's six one five one. But uh-huh. what we tend to do is um, sell sell locally. So um, yeah, that that would involve involve a drive to the. Um, to an Apple Cross supermarket, for example, it, um, yeah, that, that's that's normally what we do. We sell a range of um, well-known country honeys, bush honeys, um, yep. plus plus the uh, nearest two or three postcodes. Um, yeah, so we, we try to reserve it to the locals, and we find that they they, that they they sell better in, in the local supermarkets anyway. Yeah, I bet. I, I just think it's such a, a brilliant initiative, mate. Tell me about the benefits of, of honey for people with allergies. We, we get lots of feedback from customers swearing that their hay fever has been either cured or helped a lot by, by eating uh, local honeys. Um, I've done quite a bit of reading and um, haven't been able to find any any published scientific evidence um so yeah all, all, all i've got to go on is um just the feedback from our customers but yeah we, we, we've literally had dozens if not hundreds of um you know beautiful emails and letters talking about um really fantastic results that's incredible isn't it and it probably makes a lot of sense and we we're talking about a product that's a hundred percent natural isn't it yeah yeah in um yeah there's no no reason for us to do anything to, to honey um yeah, all we do is extract the honey, which in- involves um, scraping the, uh, the the wax coating off the top of it um, just to allow the honey to pour out. We pop it into a, a centrifuge, um, spin it, and then run it through a filter just to just to remove uh, the, the odd bee leg, um, yep. bits of wax, and um, mm-hmm. anything else that yeah, may have ended up. 
that's about yeah. as natural as it gets. And of course, the great thing about supporting postcode honey is you are supporting a local business and producer, which um, I think you guys um, have got a great concept made. It really is um, one very good, obviously it's encouraging uh, that we've got good pollination in our suburban gardens by seeing more beehives out there, which is which is wonderful. But of course, um, it's educating us as well on all the different flavours that you can get. And uh, of course, those seasonalities and those the, the flora varies by, by area and region. And and this brings um, a new complexity and understanding of uh, of the benefits of honey to the food that we're eating, but also obviously to um, uh, to the to the taste and the flavours that we're enjoying. So, look, thanks so much for joining us, John. Well done. What a great job. Oh, thank you. Thanks very much, Trevor. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. Well, what an interesting tale that one is. John is quite a fascinating fellow. I love what they're doing. I love this idea of local honey, local produce, and you actually being able to have it. And I think the big take-home that I have from from that particular story is is actually about the benefits of honey for people who suffer from things like hay fever or any of those kinds of allergies. And that is that if you're consuming the honey from the local area, you're actually ingesting uh, those pollens and building up some natural resistance in the right way to actually uh, reducing the impact of them on your on your body's um, reaction. So I, I think it's quite an interesting, uh, interesting story and certainly... Uh, as, uh, as these concepts develop and roll out right across the country, it's something we should be supporting all of us individually, So, which is why I wanted to bring that particular story to you. All right, we have got lots of questions flowing through, some coming from our YouTube channel, uh, some coming from our Facebook page. And when you when you do post your your questions or if you you know listen to an answer please hit the like button it shares it with your friends it gets more people interactive and, and things happening which would be great uh, to to have more people involved okay where do we start Lisa is in Templestowe in Victoria hello Lisa you've come to us via YouTube what's the best way to freeze carrots pretty much as soon as you get them out of the ground is the best way to go um, I would suggest that you actually process them so give them a good clean. Uh, cut them up into the sizes that you want, so either in strips or in little blocks, and then uh, snap freeze them. It's actually uh, one of the best ways to retain all the goodness of the produce. Certainly don't leave them for any period of time out of the ground. Hopefully that helps. Uh, sorry, that was uh, sorry, that was a mix-up. That was actually Rick's question. Um, Rick Thelian, we're not sure where you're from. You came to us via YouTube. Lisa, your question from Templestone, Victoria, was about your apricot tree. Sorry. Um, it's over four metres. I want to prune it back to manageable height. What's the best time to prune? I've got exactly the same situation. So I've got a dwarf tree, produced phenomenal amounts of fruit, and I'm about to give that a prune. But I've got a traditional apricot, which is very, very big, could not get the fruit off the top of the tree this year round. So the birds have had a bit of a, a feast with it. I'm going to prune that back now. Now is the time to bring it back down in height. Um, and really, you know, in Perth in particular, February is the hottest month of the year. There is a bit of a risk that you might get a bit of burning, but these trees should respond pretty well as long as you've got water up to them and everything, and uh, you give them a feed after you've pruned. And all that new growth will be where 
the fruit comes from next year. So now's the time to reduce it down and take out any crossing over branches or any branches that have got um, problems uh, as far as health goes. So hopefully that helps you. And also Rick with your <laughs> with freezing carrots. Sorry, mate. Um, Kathy, Ellen Brook in Hunter Valley in New South Wales has, has come to us. Davidson Plums got uh, leaves burning. You've covered it with shag cloth. Um, but to help revive it, um, you're looking, you've also used sea salt. What, what else would I recommend? First of all, Kathy, the Davidson plum, uh, to, to put some context into it, this is a rainforest tree, so it's expecting uh, uh, sort of more humid conditions, less dry, um, exposed conditions. It would normally be an under canopy tree, so it's growing up in the rainforest under other trees before it finally makes its way through the top of the rainforest canopy. Um to put that into context, that just means that it probably needs a little bit of protection for a while, but it will harden up if you can protect it just a bit. Sea salt is a great way to reduce uh, both transplant stress, frost stress, but also um, the damage done by excess heat. And uh, applying it over the foliage is probably the key, not around the roots. So that's what I would recommend. There's not a lot else you can do. Um, it's, it's really a case of uh, try and protect it. If it's a small tree, protect it. Maybe uh, if you've got something else that you can plant around the outside that's a temporary cover tree, then um, I would do that. Hopefully that'll help. Renee is in Melbourne. Hello, Renee. My Phalaenopsis orchid has lost its flowers. Do I cut the spike off? What's the best way to get it to flower next year? Actually, Renee, don't cut the flower off or the spike off because it could produce more flowers from that spike. It's not an unusual thing with Phalaenopsis where they'll have a second run of flowers coming off that. So uh, I would leave it. If it starts to go brown and die back, then cut it off, cut it back down near the base there. Um, using a liquid fertiliser is the best way to go with Phalaenopsis and to water them from the bottom upwards. So not over the foliage, but in actual fact, from the bottom um, in a tray. So fill it up with water, let capillary action lift the moisture back into the pot. Um, the plant will take up what it needs. And when that dries out, that tray dries out again, then you just top it up. And it's probably one or two waters a week and it's probably only half a cup or so. So hopefully that helps. And it's a flower promoting liquid fertilizer. There's a few of them out there. So have a look. Um, you don't want to, uh, to, to put that into context. If you use something like Thrive, so there's Thrive for flowers and fruit, that's a very, very high K. Um, which, uh, you know, potassium is really good at promoting um, fruit growth and, uh, and flowering. Uh, but if, um, if you're in a situation where you use the traditional Thrive, it's a very high percentage of nitrogen, which means it's going to produce a lot of, a lot of foliage growth, um, but uh, not a lot of flower. So that's why I'm saying make sure you get the right fertiliser. Okay, shall we keep rolling along? Um, Leanne's in Victoria. I've got a clivia with a seed pod that's been on the plant for two years. I have organised a bag over it. Um, how long before it opens, the seed pod? Well, it should be getting pretty close. I would think two years is a long time. Mine would normally be 12 months. But what you should see is it should turn orange or red uh, in colour. And when it does that, it's ripe. And at that point, you could pick it off and pop it into a, into a paper bag and uh, just sit and let it dry, and that seed will mature in the in the actual fruit, and uh, you can break that open and later on plant those seeds yourself. So hopefully that's going to help you there, Lee. And Jenny is in Brisbane. Hello, Jenny. I was wondering if it's possible to grow a jacaranda tree in a large pot. Well, 
It is, but um, jacaranda trees are a beautiful tree. They're a big tree, and um, that's that's really why you need to be planting them into the ground. So I would recommend that you do put it into the ground. Large pot, you're never really going to get the benefits of a jacaranda a jacaranda in that um, in that sort of environment. Kim, we're not sure where you're from. Please remember to tell us, folks, where you're from. It does make a big difference, um, state and ideally town or city. Um, I have what I believe to be a nectarine tree. It's heavy with fruit, but it's been attacked by fruit fly. What can I do to stop this from happening next year? Fruit fly is a nightmare. Um, really is a, a really difficult thing to control. And it depends on where you are in the in the country with regards to how you go about it. But it's actually more a combined process if you want to get on top of it. So uh, you want to use baits and you want to use traps. So the traps, do you remember those yellow sticky traps? The fruit fly will go to those and stick to those. Um, you can get them with protective frames now to make sure that, um, you know, things like um, geckos and skinks and, and little birds don't get stuck to them. So that's an important thing. Um, the baits are generally going to use Vegemite in the in the base, so they use something with yeast in it. The yeast will attract them in, and then if you've got just a little drop of, uh, of insecticide in there, that will kill them off, and uh, that should give you some control. But to be quite honest, those two things on their own is not really enough. So there is a product um, that I use. It's called Success, um, and it is extremely effective uh, in in also controlling. It's a spray. It's a natural biological control for grubs. So um, that should help you get on top of it if you use all three. Unfortunately, if the fruit fly damage is really bad at the moment, you're going to have to wait till next year before you um, you have a go at it again. So do it when the fruit is just starting to form and develop. And as it starts to get mature, just weekly in the build up to that maturity, and then stop spraying basically when um, when the fruit starts to colour. And then uh, you want at least probably 14 days before you actually harvest it after that. So hopefully that helps. Did you know that uh, WA, this has just been the hottest Christmas on record and no doubt there'll be lawns um, in this part of the world that have really suffered as a result of that. I'm not sure how it is in your part of Australia, but um, at the moment that's been a big challenge. I know in, in Sydney and, and Melbourne to a lesser extent, it's been quite wet and quite uh, moist. So that's not much of a problem for you, but wet and moist causes another problem, and that can be an additional patchy problem caused through fungal infections, etc. The real key to the whole thing is actually getting your um, getting your lawn to grow really strongly. It's a really important thing. A thick, lush lawn will literally smother out weeds, and of course, you know, if you've got lots of sunny days, which we have. Um, you know that's um, that's a pretty pretty big. Um, if you look at that, you can see this lawn that we're showing you here. It's a pretty big indicator that the lawn's going to be lush, healthy, strong, and look beautiful. You know, a bit that beautiful rich green colour. But if you're starting to get sort of a, a bit of a dull look to your lawn, if it's starting to brown off in patches, you do need to do some things about it. One is you should be thinking about putting a wetting agent down. Vitally important. Wetting agents do make the world of difference to the absorption of moisture in the in the actual um, soil itself. You want consistent soil moisture levels and you don't want any patches in there. The second thing you need to do is probably to liquid feed it. If it's been damaged, liquid feed it now and you'll get this flush of growth come through. And one way to really bring your lawn back really quickly, if it's not too bad, you really want to get a nice green colour, 
is to apply a very fast-acting um, liquid fertiliser. And there is one from Scott's that I wanted to highlight. It's called Extreme Green. Now, it's part of the Lawn Builder range. It's a slow-release fertiliser that eliminates waste through runoff and leaching, and it prevents burning. Um, it'll feed for up to three months, but it's got a fast action in it. So it's got this highly soluble nitrogen. And this really gives you literally within two to three days, you'll see the difference in the lawn. It's a really impressive thing. Now, it's not a chemical. It's natural nitrogen, but it's just reacting really quickly. So it's child and pet friendly. Um, and there's no risk of scorching your lawn either, which is also sometimes a problem if you're using things like urea. Um, Extreme Green's got less than half a percent of phosphorus in it too, which means you can use it safely near waterways, near ponds, near creeks, near the ocean without worrying about um, that phosphorus getting in and causing algal blooms and problems for some of the natural uh, animals in that environment. It really is a, a pretty amazing product, this, and, and it's one that I would suggest that you really do think about applying right at the moment. The combination of fast action, and controlled release action, that three-month action, is quite unique. So it's called Scott's Lawn Builder Extreme Green. Keep your eye out for it. It's available through leading uh, garden retailers. I think uh, you'll find it in your local Bunnings store. Um, I've had, I've been spent like the weekend, we were pickling cucumbers. Uh, we've been making uh, apricot jam because we've had so many apricots. And we've been picking lots of tomatoes. And I wanted to show you some of the tomatoes that I picked. I just went out and grabbed some this morning. So there's your classic moneymaker. It's a fantastic tomato, really productive plant, really good. You might have seen, if you've been following our Facebook page, you might have seen on the weekend we showed you some that maybe are a little bit imperfect. Um, I literally put up a photograph of this one. Unfortunately, a lot of people have got dirty minds. Look at that. Now, what, what was the first thing that comes to your mind when you see that? Of course, I think when you look at something like that, the first thing that comes to mind is delicious. Look at that. Beautiful. But unfortunately, for some people, they thought it was bottom. Now, this is, a, this is the funny thing with fruit and veggies that you do get some pretty unusual shaped things. Love to see your photographs, actually. They, there were some pretty funny ones popped up over the weekend. Um, this is uh, one of the beefsteak varieties. Um, that's another one you can see. I just picked that a little bit early, but I wanted to show you um, just how gorgeous they are. And then uh, we've got a whole bunch. So this is green zebra. Look at the colour of that. That is a gorgeous, gorgeous tomato and a bit different. Um, it's a little bit more tart, a little less sweet. And then we've got this one here, if I can grab a couple and show you. Tigerella really beautiful little stripes through the fruit, attractive. And then we go to the sort of, um, I suppose, those varieties that are the, the smaller varieties, so the cherries and the pears. Uh, yellow pear, sweet as anything. Um, I should be showing you that. Sweet as anything, absolutely gorgeous. And then this one, the black cherry, um, probably one of the nicest tomatoes. When you put them into a uh, into a salad, they are absolutely delicious. And of course, the other the the romas, the little uh, the little roma varieties. We've got a whole bunch of them now. These are all uh, types of tomatoes. Uh, there's variations in the varieties, but they all perform so well. And now's the time to be harvesting and also planting out. So I've done a bit of a story. Uh, for the coming Delish series uh, where you'll be able to um, see some tips on getting some great results 
for an autumn harvest. So whatever you're planting now is going to produce fruit in, in the autumn. Important thing to think about with tomatoes is they are a fruit. So you want to be using a fruit um, fertilizer, not a vegetable fertilizer. Vegetables about producing foliage. Uh, tomatoes being a fruit, you want to produce more flour and subsequently larger size fruit. So we are going to um, we're going to give a few more tips on growing tomatoes. They are really good for you. I do want to leave you with one uh, one little bit of advice. Tomatoes are rich in this red color. It's uh, a beautiful plant hormone called lycopene. Lycopene is a rich antioxidant, unbelievably good for uh, for human health, um, for cellular health, but particularly for prostate health for men. And there's been some great research done with tomatoes that suggests that one tomato about that size, that's about 40 grams, about a, about a, a handful, consumed per day uh, by, by men will reduce your risk of prostate disease by about 90%. It's 90% through changing your diet and having these in. Now, when you grow your own at home, they taste so much better than the ones that you buy in the shops because they're often picked green, those ones in the shop, and allowed to ripen or gas ripened to get that red colour. When they're sun ripened like this, they're sweet, the sugars are in them, unbelievably good for you. So they really are something that I think that we should all be thinking about growing more of at home. They're easy to grow and they really do uh, do so much good for our general health. And gents, just for those of you that don't like tomatoes very much, one tomato a day is not one of those. It's one of those. Okay. Just want to clarify it. Really important. Okay. If you've got any questions about tomatoes, there's a few that have been flowing through actually. Um, then don't hesitate to to send your questions through because uh, sometimes you can have problems and sometimes you can have bad seasons. I think I had a pretty bad season last year. Didn't get as many as, as I would like. This year, I reckon we've probably picked 10 kilos and we've probably got another 30 or 40 kilos to come through the rest of the season. So that's a, it's a lot of fruit, more than the average family could ever consume. But we make tomato sauces with them, pastes, and you know, literally every single day there's tomatoes like this uh, going into cooking, particularly these ones. These are fabulous when you're cooking with them. They really are delicious. And um, they're great just with a pasta. So literally throwing it into your pasta, cooking it all together, um, getting the flavours. They're very juicy. Get all those beautiful flavours through and you enjoy your food so much better. So ask your questions. This show is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. They produce high-quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis. Whether it's a garden, a balcony or potted indoor plants, they want to inspire anyone, anywhere to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com. All right, shall we keep moving? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just talk to you a little bit about um, our partners in this program. So we're very lucky. We we have um, the guys from Love the Garden who have been a fantastic supporter of this particular format of programming and also the Garden Gurus TV show. Absolutely brilliant. They support us each week and they've got a great range of products. So all their products 
do enormous amounts of good in the garden. So it's very easy uh, for me to be able to talk about their products quite confidently that they're going to perform for you and to explain the enormous amount of work. Their potting mixes, for example, their Osmocote potting mixes, the amount of science that goes into a bag of potting mix is staggering. So I've got a lot of things that I can tell you about and it will really help you get results in your backyard. The other side of things is actually being able to get your hands on great plants, great products, and that's where I think the world has changed dramatically. Once upon a time, we had to go to the hardware store or we had to go to the garden centre, but you can do it online these days, and that's where our friends from Garden Express have been absolutely instrumental in uh, their support of what we do and in what they do to support particularly um, people who have been in lockdown, which has been such a big part of our lives. Um, it's a chance for you to go online and, and shop and buy things that, that you know, you've really fallen in love with or plants that are seasonal and getting them delivered direct to your door. It's never been a safer way to get your hands on uh, some pretty amazing you know, plants and products. Now, Garden Express have been delivering plants to customers Australia-wide, believe it or not, for 70 years. They were well and truly ahead of their time. Uh, David Van Burkle and his family are generational horticulturalists who've lived and grown plants uh, and bulbs and flowers uh, in the Dandenongs in Victoria for uh, for generations now. I think it's at least three and uh, the next generation's on their way through. They're a really lovely family business. They do a great job. They've got an extensive range of perennials, including shrubs, trees, potted plants. Of course, there's the bulbs, and then there's edible plants. The nursery out there, I'd love to take you for a bit of a walk through at some point in time. It's about, um, the site itself's about nine acres, and the nursery's about four and a half acres under production. Uh, and then they've got a farm, and the farm's where they grow everything in the field. So there's all sorts of things going on. And when you place your order, It'll be collected from the production area and taken into a dispatch igloo. And then the packing team will select the best plants for delivery to you and they put them into some, some really cool packaging so the plants never get hurt. It's a really good way to ship. I mean, in the old days, there was so much risk of plants being damaged. They have um, this bubble protective um, wrapping and, and things that um, really make sure the plants ship well. Um, and, of course, it's always about getting the highest quality plants right from the beginning. Really, um, they probably expanded a few years ago and they work with a lot of other growers and plant breeders. So they're now introducing a lot of new plants that you know we've never seen before or things that are rare and quite unique. Um, and that's that's a unique opportunity for you to now get something that you just can't get anywhere else anyway. And um, of course, as I said, you know they pack it up in these special cases and boxes, and it can be anything from small tubes right through to, to fruit trees. That's quite amazing what they can do. And the great thing about this is they have a 100% guarantee. So if you're not satisfied with your order, you're backed by the customer, uh, sorry, the Garden Express customer service guarantee. It's a really good company, great great Australian uh, gardening company, leading, really they're doing stuff that's sort of world leading. So great chance for you to get your hands on some beautiful plants. Now's the time to do it. To do it, all you do and to go and shopping is to head to gardenexpress.com.au. Place your orders. And David and Rowan and all the team will have those off to you in the very near future. Thanks very much to both um, both companies for your support of this of this program. All right, shall we uh, keep answering your questions? I think we should because there's a lot coming through from Queensland today. I've noticed. Um, don't be sh don't be shy if you're in uh, South Australia or um, Victoria. I think we're getting a few now starting to flow through from Victoria um, and and Sydney, of course, as well. 
I'd love to hear from all of you. Belinda is on the Gold Coast. I have a young, I have young tomato seedlings that are getting eaten at ground level. Could it be cutworms? I've tried broken eggshells, but it seems to still happen. Any suggestions? It's probably either slugs or it could be cutworm if it's coming right off at, at ground level. Um, that's not an unusual thing, actually, uh, to see that sort of damage. So uh, broken eggshells is probably not going to... It's probably not going to hack it, to be quite honest. You can do some things like you can put uh, things like uh, crushed uh, biogenic amorphic silica or you could use something uh, like um, talcum powder uh, around the outside. It depends on how much rain you're getting at the moment. Um, but if it's reasonably dry, and I think it should be, uh, you, you could be in that situation where you could use that. Um, there are some chemical treatments, so you can soak the ground um, and you could use something like Bathroid, which is a good solution to those kinds of problems. And if it's, of course, if it, it is something like um, snails or slugs, then using bluestone is a really good way to stop them from getting to your seedlings. All you want to do is get them started because it doesn't take long, probably two to three weeks, and then there's nothing going to damage them or set them back after that. So it's a very short-term fix you need there, Belinda. I hope one of those options might work for you. Okay. Blizitz is uh, joined us from Victoria uh, via YouTube. How should I grow cabbage? My friends say they should be planted one by one, but I think you should grow them together in bunches. Who is right? Do you um, also have any other tips? Okay, Blizitz. Um, cabbage, uh, as a general comment, a lot better if you uh, grow them singly. That's the first thing I'm going to say. But you can grow two or three of them together and they will compete against each other, but they'll be smaller plants, okay? So if you want bigger cabbage than single plants, if you want them, uh, if you want more cabbage being produced, uh, then putting two or three seedlings together will work. In fact, a lot of seedlings you'll find there's two or three plants per punnet if you're buying them in punnets uh, in each of the little, little uh, tubes. So... That's probably the only advice I can give you. Um, what I would recommend is there's a, um, a effectively a root-promoting fertiliser called potato e-manure. Now, it's not for all members of the, uh, of the um, brassica family, but I would suggest that you do think about um, about using that particular kind of fertiliser. What you're wanting to do is you want to feed the soil. You don't want to put too much nitrogen on these guys in the early stages. You want to get them established. You want the root system to get really strong. And then at about week three, then go to a liquid fertiliser over the foliage and you will get a crop really quickly. Cabbage can grow quite quick. And uh, the best cabbage are, of course, those that are picked young. So hopefully that helps you. If you've got any more questions, keep asking. Um, Barnett is in Perth. Hello, my young fruit trees are being decimated by grasshoppers. What can I do, please? Uh, Barnett, there's a product out there. It's a brand bait. It's designed specifically for crickets and grasshoppers. It comes from a company called David Gray. It's called David Gray Cricket and Grasshopper Brand Bait. Uh, you'll find it in leading garden centres. And it's the brand baits are one of the best ways to control grasshoppers. They will go to the brand bait before they'll go to the greens. You literally spread it around the base and the plant and you even put it over the foliage and they'll eat that. And when they do, it takes care of them. Jenny is in southeast Melbourne. Hello. Uh, hi, hi, Trevor. Happy New Year of a blushing bride protea. Hi, Jenny. Um, blushing bride proteas are gorgeous. You've placed it into a ceramic pot and the plant after a few months started to droop and the foliage has started to brown. Help. 
I've recently replanted it into the ground to try and save it. Any advice would be lovely. Jenny, um, they can be a bit sensitive and unfortunately they can turn their toes up pretty quickly. The trick with them is to have a really good free draining soil. So they prefer it on the dry side to the really wet side. Um, so you need to make sure that, um, that the, the soil is draining. Now, if you plant it into the ground, hopefully it's mounded or if your soil's not heavy, it is free draining. Um, keep the water up, but I would apply a little bit of seaweed at the moment and, and sea sol is a great way to go. Uh, liquid feed that, soak it into the ground and uh, – Fingers crossed. Um, Jenny, there is one thing. If you've got a fungal disease of them, and, and they are prone to root rot diseases, uh, there's a product from Yates called Anti-Rot, and um, sometimes giving it a bit of a preventative or, or even um, uh, preemptive uh, application is not a bad thing to do. So maybe uh, a bit of a soak of that in the soil would do the world of good too. Tyson is a regular, joins us on uh, on the show on a regular basis. Hello, Tyson. Welcome back and Happy New Year to you. You're from Bar Baronia. Um, where can I buy soil to grow Mr. Fothergill's packet seeds in? What's the best soil? Well, it depends what you're doing there, mate. You want to look for, ideally, a, a soil improver if it's going into the ground and then mix that into, into the ground. This time of the year, I actually use sheep manure. Um, so we literally just got big 100, 100 litre bags of sheep manure, spread it around, cultivated into the top, I suppose, 100 mil or so, about that deep of the soil, wet it. And what happens is um, the sheep manure absorbs all that moisture and then it breaks and it starts to disperse the organic material into the soil. And you, you get the, I suppose, the most perfect environment for seeds to germinate. It does depend on what type of seeds. This time of the year can be quite risky with seeds because of the drying effect of really hot, dry conditions. So keeping the moisture up to them is really important. Hopefully that helps. Teller, another great friend of ours. We've sold our house in Aberdeen, Upper Hunter, New South Wales, and we're now living on the farm full-time at Leadville in the beautiful Warrumbungle Shire and Central Tablelands in New South Wales. That part of the world is just God's country. What climbing veggies should we plant now, Trev? Teller, I don't know whether you've thought about this, but uh, it's not truly a vegetable but you treat it like a vegetable um but there's there's probably a number of things that that could sort of go in at the moment and um climbing squash is certainly one so uh the loofah squash the the spaghetti squash they're both fantastic um the other one i'm thinking of is uh and i've got to think of it because i've got a blank on my on my mind teller because we've got so many questions coming through um thanks for your understanding with that it happens every once in a while there we are we're back maybe not the best start to sorry about that we had a little technical problem we've been trying to work out how to solve all right let's keep rolling along which is great because we've got so many questions coming we all actually look off things with teller because teller you're midway through talking about uh climbing veggies and i suggested you know probably those squash are a great thing right, just at the moment, really good way to go. I'm. This is literally what I am planting in my place. And, of course, chocos. They are absolutely fantastic, and you do treat that fruit more like a vegetable. So hopefully that helps Teller. Um, beans are always good depending on how big a plant you want. And, folks, if you've got any suggestions, don't hesitate to, um, to share them because um, this is all about sharing ideas together. Okay. We're going to the ACT. Johnny, hello. Uh, it's lovely to have you join us. It's nice to have uh, the ACT with us. I hope everybody is well. What is the best product to use on lawn to break down oh, compacted soil? Okay, now I know aerating is the best method, but I don't 
currently have the time? Can I use clay breaker or is there a good soil weather conditioner better? No, actually, look, clay breaker is the solution. And garden fork and get out and just walk around with a garden fork and just poke as many holes in that lawn as you possibly can and then applying clay breaker or gypsum uh, at about a kilo to 1.5 kilos per square metre, wash it into those holes, it will get inside and it'll improve the structure of the soil. You will probably need to do this over a period of time. So you might need to do it over three or four times over a 12 or 18 month period, but it should change actually the structure of the top 100 or 200 mil of, of your soil. And that should improve drainage and the health of your lawn as well. Carol is in Coffs Harbour. Hello, Carol. I think I have army army grub in my garden. They're feasting on my clivias, almost anything that's green, help. Okay, so army grub is lawn armyworm, and it's um, generally it's a soil-based thing, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't see it unless you're soaking the ground. So the, the, the solution, if you want to see whether you've actually got this, is to wait until dusk, soak the ground, I mean drench it so there's water sitting on top, they will all come to the surface, they hate it. And if that is the case, then you'll you'll know that you've definitely got them and you should treat them this way. And that is you should be applying, um, and my suggestion would be that you apply it now, bathroid. Now, bathroid is a really good control of lawn grubs and that should get them off your existing plants. But if it's the foliage that's being damaged, it's highly unlikely that it's um, lawn armyworm. So... Um, it's more likely to be a grub. And then if that's the case, then I would be thinking about um, one of the grub controllers like Dipel, for example, which would be a very effective way to get control of that particular problem. Hopefully it helps. Neil is in Sydney. Hello, Neil. Um, great to have so many east of our East Coast friends joining us. Um, hopefully we get a few in from Adelaide soon because uh, I don't think we've had too many South Australian questions today, but I'm sure they'll be coming. Neil, in Sydney, I've got a six-year-old forest pansy that's bloomed only outside, that has bloomed only outside leaves this year instead of its normal thick growth. Okay, that's unusual. Um, could it be root-related or what? I've recently fertilised, don't want to lose it as it's an outstanding tree really sure what your exact problem here is. Um, Cersus forest pansy, this is the Judas tree. It's a pretty tough tree. What it does like is nice dry conditions during summer. What Sydney's had is a lot of moisture and um, that could be that be, could be causing some of the problems that you're seeing. So when you say is it root related, um, it, it may be related to, to roots, but maybe because of the moisture levels. Um, it is an outstanding tree. The trick with it is to try and avoid um, it getting too wet and a good way to get that moisture off the root system is just to lay some plastic um, around the base of the tree. Um, if you can put a, a, a few strips of plastic away, it'll run the water off on the outside edge of the tree and uh, at least try and give those roots a little bit of a um, little bit of reprieve. Uh, it, it is a bit of a challenge this time of the year when you've got so much rain and it's unseasonal and it's wet and it's humid. These kinds of trees, which do prefer it being quite cool, um, they can really struggle a little bit. So you might just be having a bad year. In my area, we had a much colder winter, for example, Neil, and my frangipanis have really struggled to come back. They're starting to, but um, 
those extreme conditions, it's amazing how just a few degrees or a few mils of rain can make such a difference to the general health of a tree. So I'm hoping that, uh, that that's the answer um, that you need. Sandra, speaking of South Australia, here we go. Sandra is from South Australia. I have many varieties of geraniums and pelargoniums, but I never know when to cut them back. Uh, okay, so the trick with them is the, when the geraniums get too leggy, uh, cut them back. Don't be scared to cut them back. Pelargoniums, uh, you don't want to do it in this sort of mid-winter, late spring, oh, sorry, early spring period because you're going to cut all the flowers off. Uh, the rest of the year, feel feel free to, to get out and give them a prune. In fact, right now it's not a bad time, Sandra. So, uh, yeah, give them a bit of a bit of a clip now. won't hurt. Um, it's better to prune them regularly than it is to prune them once every two or three years really hard because that's when you end up cutting back into that old wood and more often than not they may not come back or they may not be very happy. Hopefully that helps. Okay, Scott's from Beaconsfield. I'm going to make the assumption that this is Beaconsfield in Victoria. Please remember to tell us the state because there's a few Beaconsfields around Australia. Um, I've got five water housier plants that have been attacked by some sort of bug. The leaves are looking terrible. What's the best solution for this? Cut all the affected foliage off? Uh, question mark. Well, look, uh, Scott, it does depend. Water housier sometimes are affected by a petosporum beetle. And that may be what you've got. But what I would love you to do for me is to take a photograph fairly close up, if you could, of the foliage. And if it's like a bubbling kind of effect, it's highly likely, or it's like a, a, almost a scarifying effect, it's more than likely that it is going to be a petosporum beetle, which uh, can, can impact them. Um, pruning the foliage off won't hurt the plant because that foliage is damaged and it's never going to get better. So doing that will stimulate new growth, which is a good thing. Um, the trick is, however, to try and control this bug in the future. And I'm not really sure what the easiest solution is, except for to be really vigilant and be prepared to spray. Um, there's uh, Bathroid Advance is a, is a great treatment for many of these kinds of bugs. Uh, there's a few different sprays. And look, the, the trick is probably to talk to your local garden centre and take maybe a sample of the foliage in a plastic bag that's sealed uh, in and share that with them and they'll be able to probably give you a bit better advice than I am at the moment because I am guessing until I see a photo. Sandy is in Adelaide. We're back in Adelaide. It's great. Everybody from South Australia is uh, is starting to flow through. And unfortunately, we are running, in fact, we've run out of time, but I'll, I'll get through these last few questions and I think we're going to have to come back and answer some more questions for you next week. Um, I've got a lot of different coloured osteospermums. Okay, this is the African daisy, but they all end up turning pink. Can you tell me why and what I can do to prevent this? Now, this is a problem with something we call reversion. So, a lot of plants that are that are hybridised, um, one of the parents uh, is going to be uh, stronger than than the other. And when you get uh, that, often they'll end up they'll they'll do what we call um, they'll they'll produce a sport. And the sport is usually comes from the base, and it's it's one of the plants that um, is I suppose more closely related to the parent. Effectively, that'll take over the rest, and that's a problem. That's really really, really um, quite problematic um, because, unfortunately, they, they do this. So those beautiful osteospermas, where you buy those beautiful flowers, they can end up reverting back to one of the parents, and that's usually the pink one, which is the most prevalent variety. Not a lot you can do about it except for just keep planting them. Um, don't be scared with osteospermums to take cuttings as well. So if you're seeing the varieties that, that are producing the right flowers, cut from that foliage, um, plant it into, into, into pots, 
they'll drop roots and produce more plants. And the ones that turn pink, if you don't want them, take them out and put the ones back in that you want. And constantly refreshing osteospermums keeps them looking better and better crops of flowers and so on. So um, I, I did mention uh, keep letting us know where you're from. Kathy, uh, unknown, not sure where you're from. My garden's been consumed by a wandering Jew. Not even Roundup, which I hate using, is killing this stuff. Do I have any advice? Well, look, Roundup will kill wandering Jew. I, it's probably the only solution I have to it in my garden. Um, but the trick with it is that you want to go through and try and knock the plant back as much as you can. So if it's in the garden beds and you can get in and you can hit it with a line trimmer or you can cut it back a bit or, or even you know, break it up a bit, do that. And then when it's really suffering, hit it with a roundup. Um, that should kill it all off. It's not going to stop any regeneration of seeds. This One of the plant, problems with this plant is it's so prolific with its seed production and really what you want to do is you want to make sure that as soon as you start to see regeneration of seeds, those little tiny seedlings get hit with some more Roundup. Unfortunately, I could suggest some other treatments. There are some more noxious um, uh, herbicides, but I'm really reticent to do that. One thing that does knock uh, Wandering Jew back a fair bit, but it's not the total solution, is a vinegar and salt applications. The salt and vinegar sprays can be a very, very good way to dehydrate this plant and to set it all back, but it won't necessarily kill it off completely. So there's a couple of options for you. Agnes is in Wetherill Park in Sydney. Hello, Agnes. I've got a lime tree and I keep getting leaf curl. I cut them off and now it's on my lemon tree as well. How do I get rid of it? I've sprayed it. I've put oil spray on them and it still happens. Agnes, um, New South Wales is particularly bad for something called um, citrus leaf miner. It's a little moth and it's active in the early evening, so just on dusk, and it flies around and it lays its eggs, literally stings its little eggs in just under the surface of the skin of new growth. And then as that new growth starts to come out, it causes it to con contort, if you like, and deform because um, the, the little egg that's hatched into a larvae is basically eating the goodness, so it twists it and gnarls it and makes it look terrible. What you've got to do is every time you see a new flush of, of growth, Get out and spray some of that. So it's it's kind of a bit of a challenge, but you wait till you see that new growth. Get out and spray just as that new growth occurs, but in the early evening. Do it on a Monday. Do it on a Wednesday. Do it on a Friday. Do it on a Sunday, and that should stop any problems with that new growth forming and, and the, the tree developing the way it should do. Um, remember Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. And um, that will stop them. And basically what's going on is uh, one is the, the oil over the foliage smothers out the eggs that may have been planted, so they suffocate. And two is uh, the, the moths don't like the stickiness of the oil. So they'll go somewhere else uh, and they, they won't do the damage on your citrus. It is the only way to get control of that citrus leaf miter that causes that horrible leaf curl that you're seeing. Hopefully that helps. Um, yeah. There's no other easy way around it, Agnes. I'm sorry. Christine is our last question for today. She's from Nowra and Shoalhaven, uh, New South Wales. Um, do you need two Fajoa trees and two avocados for fruiting? Well, Fajoa trees, you don't. Fajoas, uh, you can have one tree and they'll be prolific. That's fine. With Fajoas, remember, it's not just the fruit. The flowers are delicious uh, edible flowers as well. With avocados, you do need two types now, that's a, that's a whole different thing. Generally, in uh, most 
situations, I would say now in cities, you don't need it because there's so many avocado trees around and pollination is such that you'll end up getting good crops. Um, so I, I hope that uh, from from your sake, uh, for your sake, that you've got two trees. Um, as far as varieties go, you might just want to check with your local garden centre as to what's coming into flower at the right time if you're going to buy some. So um, in my garden, uh, I have probably three varieties and uh, I end up with what we call biennial cropping. So one year, one variety will produce quite a significant crop. The other one will produce very few. And then the following year, the other one will produce a big big crop and and, and the, the other that produced a big crop will rest and produce very few fruit. And it's a nice way to have um, these. Avocado trees are such great trees to grow and they're so good. Now, Christine, you also mentioned that you've, you've um, you have bees and you've harvested 27 kilos of honey. Wow. How amazing is that? What a great surprise. Well done. That's absolutely awesome. I've just done a story on uh, bees at home for the Delish series. Um, they are such a great addition to any garden. And of course, we've just been talking about pollinating. Bees travel up to five kilometres from the hive and they'll move from one avocado tree to another avocado tree to another avocado tree, spreading that pollen as they go. And of course, that's pollinating your fruit. Hopefully that helps. Wow. Uh, first first day back, it's 11 past 10. Uh, that's 11 past one on uh, the East Coast. And here we are. We've run out of time. There are so many questions that have come through. I hope that I've answered yours, but the good news is we will answer any that we've missed next week. Remember, hit the like button with this. Um, really does help us because it it shares the world a uh, word, and uh, that's a really important thing in getting uh, getting out to your friends and and uh, making sure that people uh, are aware of of the good work that we do. We are trying to help you have more gardening success, and that's what it's all about. Um, Robin's going to send some messages to our seed winners. Uh, don't forget Mr. Copperfield's packet seeds every week. We have five winners. Um, she'll let you know after today's show. I'll be back next Monday for another session of The Garden Gurus Live. It's 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time, 9 a.m. for WA viewers. Remember, if there's any information that you want, if you want to catch up on previous stories from The Garden Gurus, you can go to our website, it's thegardengurus.tv, or check out our YouTube channel, uh, thegardengurus.tv. That is actually a great source of all the videos that we produce from the TV show, so you can kind of watch back and use it as a resource. If you want to listen back to today's live stream or catch up on previous episodes, you can do so through your favourite app, Spotify, Apple Podcast or Audible. They all have our, our podcast on there, so it's a chance for you to, I suppose, enjoy it. Um, big thanks to Robin and to Jimmy for all the technical things, particularly digging us out of a hole when we went off air today. They've done a great job this morning. And um, all best wishes to all of you guys. Thanks so much. For your support it's great to be back happy gardening everybody look forward to seeing you and, and happy new year we'll see you again soon <laughs>